This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Welcome to episode 74.5 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I am your host, Gavin J. Baxter, running solo this time as we bring you the second half of our production this week. Earlier, Gary, Graham, myself, we reviewed the transfer activity of the summer and summarized our overall recruitment to date. This time, we get to bring you the thoughts and words from a man who was in the trenches with Darren Mowbray, Jim Goodwin, Stephen Gunn, the rest of the recruitment staff as they took on the mammoth task of overhauling last season's squad and then building what we have now with such players as Ilba Ramadani, Duke, Boyan Miofsky, players from markets we would never previously have even considered thanks to the work of Dan Mowbray and assisted ably by Lee, we now have a very, very different, very broad, very diverse approach to recruitment. We're just going to get straight into it. This is our chat with former recruitment analyst of Aberdeen Football Club, Lee Scott. Lee Scott, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, we appreciate your time. We know you're a very busy man, but I'm sure the three of us and our listenership will be very interested to hear what you have to say about the recruitment process at Aberdeen. But before we get into that, Lee, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background. Uh, was football your favourite sport growing up? Uh, yeah, yeah no, no, definitely. I grew up in Elgin, actually. Um, just obviously, for those that don't know, a little bit further north of Aberdeen. Um, everybody around me was a Rangers fan at the time because it was the time Rangers were the dominant side. Uh-huh. None of my family were really into football, so I don't even know why I chose Aberdeen, probably to be a little bit contrarian, if nothing else, and, and it kind of blossomed from there. But yeah, football's always been my sport. Nice. And well, I was going to ask, who was your favourite team? You've given me the answer, and it's the right answer. <laughs> Aberdeen, so who was your who were your favourite players when you were growing up? Growing up, it was Stuart McKimmy. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it was always Stuart McKimmy. I don't know why, because I wasn't a fullback. I played midfield when I played. Um, but I remember getting a chance to play against him at a fives tournament. And I obviously he was well retired by that point. But I, I got the ball and stuck it through his legs and, and celebrated. <laughs> and then the next time I took the ball, he absolutely cleared me out from behind. And that, that was kind of me put back in my place. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Love it. Would you tend to agree with us when we say that Stuart McKimmy is a 100% first ballot Hall of Famer and should be in the Hall of Fame at Aberdeen? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think, um, yeah, around about that time, he was he was just phenomenal, consistent, always gave you 100% in the pitch, always played well, never seemed to have a bad game. Yeah, I feel we need to make this like a campaign for the 2023 Hall of Fame induction ceremony, <laughs> personally speaking, but maybe get to that later. So then... Lee, the reason we got you on this show, you were a part of the recruitment team at Aberdeen Football Club from October 21st until, was it the end of past season or when did you leave Aberdeen? So I joined October 2021, um, just about the end of October 21, and I was in place for a year before I, um, it was pretty much bang on a year actually, strangely, before I left to take up a new role. Excellent. And we spoke just a little bit before we started recording. You said Dad Mowbray was very influential in bringing you into the fold, Aberdeen. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, when when Darren got the job, um, I reached out to him on LinkedIn just to say congratulations and and welcome to Aberdeen kind of thing and started a conversation and he'd heard me speak a few times on the the Scouted Football podcast, which I used to do quite regularly. Um, that kind of led to a conversation. I was invited into Cormac Park to meet with Darren and Stephen Gunn. Um, had a conversation about how they wanted to go forward with recruitment. And I had a skill set that they thought could help with that. And that ended up turning me into me joining the club. As an Aberdeen fan, you might be aware that it's kind of it's almost become like meme-worthy material with Darren Mulberry because he's the one influential figure at the club since you know the the restructuring, this more continental approach. Darren's never gone in front of the camera, <laughs> he's never given an interview. It's almost like, does Darren Mulberry exist? No one really quite knows. As someone who's met him. Can you just tell us a little bit about the man and I guess what it is that made him so, you know, of course, Aberdeen last summer, we we had the summer window with Stephen Glass in charge. And then Dave Cormack revealed that Dan Mowbray actually came into situ in September after the window had finished, which from the outside looking in, you know, it doesn't seem like the smartest decision, but obviously there was something about Mowbray that the club wanted for and were willing to wait for. What is it about him that makes him so good at his job? I think, I can, first of all, I can confirm he does exist. Um, absolutely does exist, so don't worry, he is he is real. Um, obviously, Darren had to work his uh, notice period at his former club before he joined the club, and that's why there was a little bit of a delay, I think, in him getting started. Um, he's very, very good. Uh, honestly, I mean, I know sometimes people leave a job and the first thing they want to do is, is kind of slag their, their former employers, but I honestly won't say a bad word about him. Um I always found him really good to work with, a really good football mind. He absolutely knows how to spot a player. Um, I know that's something that's kind of genetically rolled out when you speak about people who work within scouting, the ability to know a player and see a player, but it is a little bit of an art form. Um, Darren's got that. He he was quite open to me when I first started talking to him that he'd been working for Burnley previously and obviously travelling across in Europe as he does now for Aberdeen. He would be looking at players in, say, the two to five to ten million range. And he had to kind of adjust himself because when he joined Aberdeen with the best will in the world, he wasn't looking at the two to five to ten million range. Yeah, it was more than kind of half million to maybe three quarters of a million, ten million. So he found the adjustment period and, and he had to kind of get used to that himself. But in terms of his approach to things, the way that his attention to detail and the way that he likes to incorporate data into the recruitment process as well. I think it, it all was something that the club really needed at the time. And certainly since he's came in, I think when you step back and look at the recruitment, I, I think it's fair to say that we're a better team now. I still say we because I'm an Aberdeen fan, obviously. There was a lot of confusion when I worked there as well. It was kind of double down on fandom. It wasn't healthy at times. <laughs> um, but I think it's fair to say that we're a healthier team now than we were when he came in place and that's pretty much the, the best compliment you can pay him certainly I think ourselves and I'm sure it wasn't just us we looked at you know, look back to Derek McInnes the recruitment strategy was very much contained within the British Isles and you had to have a certain set of criteria to be considered for Aberdeen and yeah obviously we've just completely blown that up and looking as far afield as you say is Hungary the Portuguese B League Notts County etc etc um <laughs> It seems like, uh, you know, everything's a fair game now. So, Lee, your job title at Aberdeen was recruitment analyst, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, kind of give us an impression. A regular day in the life of Lee Scott, recruitment analyst at Aberdeen, what does that entail? <laughs> um, there were kind of different strands. Um, some cases, I mean, Darren, I'll tell you himself, that despite, I mean, I think you touched on the Derek McKinnis era, Derek McInnes era, Aberdeen was very much agent-led in terms of recruitment when players would come in from agents. That's still something that happens at the club now. So Darren will get an inordinate amount of messages probably on a daily to weekly basis from agents trying to push players. And in some instances, those players will be in positions or roles of interest. They'll be the right age. They'll be the right kind of profile. And in that instance, he will send out names and ask for reports on the players. So um, as a recruitment analyst, part of the role is video scouting. 
quite extensively. So if players came in from agents, we'd sit down on Scout, you watch a couple of matches, fill in reports on the online system the club uses. Um, they have a, a bespoke profile or, or system that they use for the reports that Darren put together that has um, different criteria for different positions. So obviously you're, you're trying to tick off as many of those as you can when you're watching the player. For me as a recruitment analyst, I would also then go and check the player's data. Um, I'm self-taught in coding, but I, I do code. So I was able to manipulate the data and use the data for in terms of creating player visualizations so mm-hmm. that the rest of the scouting team or the manager would be able to dip into the software that we used and they'd be able to see the likes of radar charts, pizza charts, things like that. That kind of give you a snapshot of the player's event data. Um, other than that, when there weren't as many players get coming in or when I had a bit more time, I would use my own systems for player identification. So again, that goes into coding. Um, using data extensively to try to track players with metrics that I think are key for the way that we were trying to play. Uh, metrics that I've used before in the past in consultancy roles to, to that I thought identified players at a high level. So that would be another way that players would come into the club. And I don't think there was a there were two days that were the same, especially around the transfer window when yeah. um, we used data quite extensively when signing players, for example, when we're going for work permits. Um, there's a lot of work to be done around that in the application process. So you have to be able to prove that the players that you're trying to sign are better than the domestic right, options of course, yes. that you have available to you. So, yeah, no two days were the same. Every day was kind of different, but that made it all the more enjoyable, I think. Can you try and describe the setup in the kind of chain of cast? I, I assume that you report directly to, to Darren Mowbray principally, and then you'll have Jim Goodwin and the director of football, Stephen Gunn, involved in the process as well. What's the kind of like structure as such? Is it a case of like Jim Goodwin, Dan Mowbray discuss? you know, we want this player for this position, we want this kind of player for this position, and then it goes to Dan Mowbray, and then in turn, he'll tell you, you know, the brief as such, and then it's your kind of job to go out and then basically source players to then present to Goodwin and the, and Stephen Gunn as these are the options we can have. Yeah, there are different ways that clubs work. Um, some clubs don't factor the manager or the head coach into the recruitment process as much as others do. They're the ones that have a, a clearly defined idea that yeah. kind of top down and no matter who the coach is, these are the players that we're going to look for, the types of players. At Aberdeen, it's very much more manager-led to an extent. Okay. I think what was really good was that very quickly, I think that Darren and, and Jim Goodwin got on really well. Um, we When we had meetings, whole department meetings, if you like, at the training ground, there was a lot of information given by the manager in terms of the kind of players he liked. Um, left, I think, clarity was important with Jim Goodwin. He was what you see is what you get with him. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans know that now, and and that's something that I appreciated as somebody in, in recruitment because he was very very clear about what he wanted for each position and what he wanted in terms of what the squad would look like. He we had a, obviously a certain budget and we had to work within that budget, and he was very clear that he wanted more attacking options than defensive options. That's his prerogative as the coach. Um, he wanted to be able to turn to his bench in the 70th minute if it was a close game and have two or three attacking options as opposed to two or three defensive options to come on. Um, so Aberdeen, the hierarchy very much is it kind of be Jim, Stephen, Darren kind of discussing options and, and how the squad's going to look. And then we kind of go away from there and we start to look at players. But... Obviously, you've always got the threat aspect as well and that you know that you're going to lose players at some point. Uh-huh. So uh, towards the end of last season, obviously, we were aware that there was going to be significant interest in Calvin Ramsey and Lewis Ferguson. So as well as the positions that you're looking to strengthen anyway, there were several that we wanted to strengthen. We also had to make sure that we had options for those players when they went out as well. That's an interesting point you mentioned about, you know, you have to always look ahead as well. I mean... Of course, in the current squad, we've got a number of lone players, um, players whose contracts will be up, and there's been speculation that some of the recruits that came in the summer are being looked at by clubs in across Europe. Um, when you were still part of the club up to October, how far ahead are you now? The summer's gone. How far ahead are you now looking in terms of player identification? Is it January? Is that the focus, or are you looking towards um, the summer as well? 
or even further afield? Yeah, the minimum would have been summer. Um, you always kind of have to try and plan year to year in that way. January transfer window is very difficult to to work in. You'll always get options in January. It's not always advisable to take the options that are offered in January because typically if a player is available in January, it's for a reason. Um, that wasn't quite the case last year, obviously, when we were able to take Vinny, um, which was different. We were able to go into his club and offer a fee and take him out of there. They didn't want him to move, but he had his heart set in the move when he heard about the club and we were able to get him out and add an attacking option to the club that way. But this January, I think we, we were already discussing things that we might have to do, and, and that was more in terms of threats, though. You had the threat of, our loan players going to get recalled? Uh-huh. Are there going to be bids on players? I mean, I think realistically, I think, obviously I'm not speaking now with any sort of inside knowledge anymore. I'm not going to pretend that I am, but if bids were made for like Boyan at the moment, Boyan Mayowski, I think that if they were, were accepted, it would be with a caveat that he would remain at the club until at least the end of the season. Okay. I don't think they would have any intention of letting him walk out of the club in January, even for an inflated fee. Um, not with European football kind of on the horizon and trying to get back into into European football. I think that'll kind of be the focus. But then going forward in the summer, you're already looking at like sort of expiring contracts for players across Europe and down in England and Scotland as well. You're looking at players who maybe are falling out of favour a little bit at the clubs that you think are talented or have previously impressed and you're starting to think about them. So yeah, ideally you'll think at least a year, two years in advance, but you have to always be aware of the short term too. Absolutely. You don't need to go into specifics or any kind of names, but do you know like what areas the club are looking at to strengthen even in January? Uh, I could offer a, a pretty good guess. I'm not going to, but I could offer it. <laughs> um, I think I have to respect the fact that I worked for the club quite recently and I, I don't want to kind of go over any ground or anything like that. I think we, we had targets, we had areas that we were looking at before I left. Um, football is funny. Football does move very quickly and players can follow. I mean, for example, all you have to do is look at the fact that the managers change system. Yeah. All of a sudden we've gone to a back three system from a back four and that completely changes the, the kind of look of your squad. We were looking almost, I mean, it almost became a bit of a running joke around um, some people that I know that we kept signing wingers. Every time we signed a winger, I'd be getting messages from my friends saying, what are you doing? You've got another one. <laughs> are you looking for any other positions or any more coming in? And then all of a sudden we go to a system where we're not playing with wingers. Need any wingers. <laughs> yeah. And and again, it's a prerogative of the manager. He has to do what he thinks is best with the playing staff that we've got. I would say that some of the wingers that we have are more than capable of playing in a front two, for example. Um, so going into January, it will depend on whether that's something that they, they want to keep going forward with or their plan to change back to the 4-3-3. Um, but the 4-3-3, I think then you have more difficulty getting Duke involved and uh, all Aberdeen fans have seen what's happened when Duke's on the pitch. So I can imagine that there's not going to be, they're not going to quickly move away from two up top, I don't think. Can't be taking that maverick out of the team. I'm not having that. <laughs> Riots going down King Street if that happened. Um, <laughs> let's just go into like a, very, a specific example of, and you can just tell us and tell the listeners how it works. So let's just say end of last season or maybe even earlier, Jim Goodwin has decided he needs a new number nine, a new lead striker. We're going to play 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. He tells Darren Mowbray, I want this kind of player. And ultimately it ends up being Boyan Miofsky. As a kind of layman with the kind of not the understanding of the metrics and all the data that you might have, I might look at the Hungarian league and say a team that got relegated from there might not be very good. But hey, we've unearthed two absolute gems from there. Tell us how, from like start to almost finish, how do we, Aberdeen, sign Bojan Miofsky? So Bojan's a bit of a different one. Um, Bojan was somebody we were already looking at before Christmas. Um, he wasn't somebody who came on our radar late in the season and all of a sudden was available. He was somebody that we were looking at, I think. We started looking at him in December of last year. Um, that was purely based on Darren. Um, Darren had seen him on video, um, really liked him, went out to watch him. And around the time we went out to watch him, the way it used to work was if Darren or 
even one of the other scouts was going out abroad for a scouting trip. We had a, a shared calendar that would populate with the games that they're going to. Um, I would typically take those games and then drill down at the teams using data to identify any other players. Then I could just ping over a message saying, watch this player, watch this player, watch this player. And in the process of, of Boyan being scouted, the first player on that list was Ilber. Yeah. yeah. So Ilber was the first one I sent over to Darren and said, look, this player's data is out of the world. Make sure you have a look when you go and see him. And the report came back as positive. But initially with Boyan, we thought we were being priced out. Um, I think I'm right in saying that we were told in January it would be over two million. And obviously, I'm not going to pay anywhere near two million. So that kind of went in the back burner. But in football, deals and and prices they change and they fluctuate. So as the season went on, I mean, you touched on MTK being relegated. I would say that that was an anomaly. Um, they were actually a very talented squad, and it was a bit okay. of a surprise that they ended up down there. Historically, they're one of the stronger teams in Hungarian football with a real reputation for developing young players. So when they were in trouble, looking like they were going to get relegated, all of a sudden the agent for Bojan Majowski got back in touch and said the price is dropping, and that was kind of there was that was happening at the same time as we thought there was a deal done for a certain tall Norwegian who shall not be named, who ended up going to play elsewhere. Um, I was in a meeting when we were essentially told that the Loris deal was all but done and he was ready to sign, and then. That changed, um, whether the player or the agent changed their mind, I'm not sure which, but kind of that started to get a little bit more complicated. Around the same time, we were told that Boyan may become available. And then I think credit to the board and to Dave Cormack, when it did come down to to Boyan being available, we were able to actually pay the price to, to get that over the line. But in terms of using data, it can be any number of things. The, the club used and still use Scout in terms of their video scouting package. Scout also carries data. So basically everything that I used came from the data platform from Scout. But I kind of created my own metrics within that using either different models or combined metrics to give a little bit more insight. So with Ilber Ramadani, he came up really well on what I call progressive actions in terms of getting the ball in midfield. And either being able to drive five, ten yards with the ball and beat a player and move your team forward, or play the progressive pass and move from one third to the next. He never really peaked in terms of attacking data. Um, I wasn't surprised that he's only scored one goal for us. I remember one of my um one of my my sons plays in a football team in Aberdeen, and a couple of lads had gone to the open training session before the start of the season, and they came away raving about Ramadani's long range shooting. And I kind of looked at them and went, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on even five goals, to be honest with you. It's not part of his game. But in terms of being a leader and, a, and having the structure to play those passes, progressive passes and break lines, that was something that really stood out for Ramadani. With Boyan, it was more about total goal contribution. So we don't just, didn't use, just use goals and assists. We kind of combined that into goal contributions, which were goals plus assists. And then... You'd also have expected goal contributions, which was expected goals and expected assists, not to go into too much detail, but kind of we start to use those metrics and you start to see the performance as a Boyan come to life a little bit. And when you looked at his data as a whole at the end of the season, you could see that he had actually underperformed where we would have expected him to in terms of he hadn't scored or assisted as many as he should have potentially. But in a team who'd been relegated, uh-huh. you expect that because obviously, obviously the luck's against him maybe the quality of teammates against him. And that's where you kind of find value in signing a player like that. And you've seen since he's came in, obviously he needs a couple of away goals, probably. Maybe time for that to start coming a little bit. Be helpful, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but even his home form, you can see exactly what he brings to it. Absolutely. Has there ever been an instance of you've looked at a player's data and it it looks really positive, it looks just like what you need, and then... As you say, you look at the data and then you, you'll go on Scout and you'll actually watch matches um, on on the screen there. Has there ever been like a player that you've looked at the data suggests perfect fit and then you watch them and you, then you think to yourself, oh, maybe not quite what I thought this was going to be? Yeah, definitely. It's normal. I mean, I, I would never, ever turn around to NMD and say that data is enough for you to sign a player. 
it's it's just you can't you can't do it. You can't just look at the numbers and say, yeah, that'll do me. I'm going to take that player. It needs to be part of the process, and it is part of the process, but it's only a part of the process. Uh-huh. I think there were a couple of players that, as soon as I got to Aberdeen, I was kind of pushing really heavily to Darren, players that I've been tracking previously, whose data was absolutely out of this world. I mean, the metrics were were all off the charts, and I was really excited about them. They were playing in League Two of England at the time, and um, it wasn't until we kind of spoke to the scouts, a couple of scouts at the club that have been around the game for a long, long time um, do a lot of the domestic scouting for Aberdeen and they're really experienced, really good guys and they would kind of look at the player and come away with, I bet you can't run I mean, the, the passing was off the charts, I, I'll give you the player, it's Elliot Watt, who was at Bradford City and moved to Salford City in the summer um, he's Scottish as well he was 21 at the time and I think I bugged Darren to death with trying to get him to sign him because the metrics were so good. But he was a little bit heavy. I think at one point, hoping that Elliot's not going to listen to his podcast, I think at one point <laughs> he got told he had a big arse and that he wasn't athletic enough to play in midfield, which was probably a fair comment. But I would say that now he's gone to Salford and he seems to have got himself fitter and, again, he's performing well. But there are always instances because... I think it's no secret that when Jim Goodwin came in, he wanted athleticism yeah. over, over almost anything. I mean, athleticism was the key factor for any player that we signed. They, they had to be able to run. That There weren't going to be passengers coming in that, that weren't physically up to the task anymore. He wanted to have that option and to have people who were able to put in the work on the training ground and on the pitch. So players whose data are really good might not always be the most athletic. I mean, if you look at Jet before he joined Aberdeen, I'm fairly sure his data looked all right. Probably not off the charts, but it would have been all right enough for you to have a look at. But once you look at the player, you'll soon see. Probably looked great anytime he played Aberdeen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I did have a filter so I could choose which clubs the data came against. That might have been interesting to have a look at. <laughs> I would like to point out I wasn't at the club when they signed Jet, so it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a player with a big arse. I think we're all going to be like Googling now what side of the wing Elliot Watt plays on. He's not must a winger. Obviously mid. a winger. Must have been, no? No, no, no centre mid. Centre mid. He, ah. was, uh, he would have been Ilber before Ilber was Ilber, if you like. He would have been the, the six at the, the base of the midfield. Well, there's there's many a fan out there that would have been very upset if you deprived them of Ilber Ramadani <laughs> with, with Elliot Watt. No offence, Elliot. <laughs> glad, glad you're doing well um you might not know too much about this but once you've like identified a player and you know yourself dad and even the manager like yes this is the guy i want him how does it then develop from there is that like down to then the director of football who then kind of takes charge is jim goodwin principally involved or even the chairman himself uh how does how do we then move from player identification to then you know signing on the dotted line doing the scarf over the head picture on the yeah. top <laughs> yeah with the drone coming in low across Batoria that's where you know we've got a sign isn't it I think that um, for the most part once we get to that part of the process it comes down to uh, partially the owner and Stephen Gunn director of football um, there will be once we've got permission from the club to negotiate with a player which is always the key um, you still cannot negotiate with a player without prior permission of the club unless they're down to the last six months of the contract. And even in that case, you would contact the club in the first instance to say, I'm going to be speaking to your player. Um, yes. They can't do anything about it at that point, but just to be just to be polite more than anything else and to keep things above board. Um, at that point, once you get permission to speak to the, the player, Darren, Jim, Stephen would generally jump on a Zoom call with the player um, and the agent, representative, family, whoever it was. And they had a like a sales pitch, if you like, about Aberdeen. There was a, a quite cool video done um, that showed the city, the training ground, Petaudry, when it was jumping. Um, kind of a little bit about the history of the club as well. So they would present all that to the player, kind of give a little bit about the player's data, why we like him, how we see him in our system, if you like, and, and kind of what his role would be. And then from that point on, if everything's positive, the negotiation comes down to Stephen Gunn and the owner. Um, I think a couple of times the owner got involved because the money crept up a little bit. And right, okay. at that point, the owner and the board of directors have to agree to the financial outlay. Um, we obviously have a, a budget in place that would be wages, 
transfer fee to an extent, but I think it kind of all merges into one pot, if you like. Um, so there were times that I think we had to go to the board and, and get that extended a little bit to get more players over. I think there was a lot of there was a lot of people who I think thought that when we sold Calvin and we sold Lewis, that that money transfers 100% into the, the pot for player sales and player wages. Yeah. It's just Stop not case. the way it works. Yeah. yeah, It has to go into the business as a whole. People don't like that word about their football club, but it is a business and it has to go into to kind of spread about a little bit. A proportion of it would have gone into the playing budget, but not at all. So at that point, it kind of comes down to director of football to to get the negotiation with the player and the agent, and then the manager gives a final seal of approval before you see them on Pataudry pitch with their scarf above their head. Which we all love, of course. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Lee Scott. We'll bring you part two in just a few moments. But now, time for a word from our sponsors. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for just £30 per person this festive season. Get in touch by emailing scott at siberia-aberdeen.com That's scott at siberia-aberdeen.com For more details and while you're at it, why not grab tickets at the same time for Siberia's 2023 Hogmanay celebrations with music from Home Alone. Part 2 of episode 74.5. Hope you're enjoying our interview with ex-recruitment analyst Aberdeen, Lee Scott. We're going to get straight back into the action. Lee is going to describe to us the reasoning behind some of the recruitment we made in the summer. His overall thoughts on how things have gone to date. And we could not let Lee go without asking him about the phenomenon we know as Duke. Let's get straight back to it. Now that you're on the outside of the club, how would you, personally speaking, review the summer transfer business? It was a huge, huge overhaul of the squad. Um, 11 new players coming in from, uh, and I don't think, with the exception of Liam Scales, who had limited experience, none of them from from Scotland had played Scottish football before. Um, a real, you know, diverse group of players. Of course, we let um, Lewis Ferguson, Ramsey go for big fees, and of course we let go of the likes of Gallagher, Bates, Dylan McGeeck, Funzo Ojo, uh, Jet was released of course last year. It was a huge overhaul of the squad. How do you feel it's gone now Now that we're sitting here in December and we're kind of able to just look at the season? That first part is done now. Having lived it, it was incredibly busy. I've never been a part of recruitment at a club. This isn't the first club that I've worked for. Um, I've never been part of recruitment at a club where it's been that intense for a period of time in terms of new faces coming in. Um, I think anybody at the club would tell you, though, that the ideal would have been three or four. But yeah. realistically, where the squad was at the point of the previous recruitment, if you like, hadn't been successful and there needed to be a major overhaul. I think it's fair to say when you look at where the squad was, a year ago and where you look at it now we're in a much healthier place I would say that it hasn't all been entirely positive, there have been some negatives I think unfortunate with injury to, to one or two players who I think would have got more minutes and, and impressed a little bit more if you like um, looking retrospectively I think that we've done again I'm saying we, when I was at the club we'd, we've fulfilled the brief that we were given in terms of adding dynamism, youth, energy, athleticism, goals to the squad. Um, there was very much a focus on attack and talent, and I think that kind of bears it all to see. I think the one the one that I think I see getting the most stick is Jaden, Jaden Richardson. Um, he was by far and away number one in terms of the right backs that we were wanting to sign. And again, you have to touch upon the athleticism. Um, there's been a lot of talk about his defensive mistakes and he's absolutely 
anybody at the club will turn around and say, ah, he's made mistakes. I think it was the game against Ross County. He fell on his backside and trying to clear off the line and the last minute right, equaliser yeah. went in. And there's been more than that. Um, but I think that when you're a club like Aberdeen, you kind of, you, you get into a point where you're trying to take young players, especially from England, where you take one side of the ball or the other. We could get a fantastic defender in to play right back from England, but they wouldn't have the same impact going forward. Or we have the player who is really good going forward who needs to work on the defensive side of his game. And I think that's where the balance has to come in. Um, I know there's been speculation in the press this week about a replacement for him or even just a challenger for him coming in. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. But I do think that Jaden will come through it. I think in terms of raw potential, he's probably up there as the best that we've signed. And I know that a lot of people listening to this are going to be surprised because they'll think I've seen him play and I don't agree. But if he can put it together in terms of learning the defensive side of his game, he's still a young man. If he can learn the defensive side of the game and from the coaching staff, then we've got a real player there. And I think that jettisoning him at this point because he's made a couple of mistakes in the first half of the season would be wrong. Um Anthony Stewart came in as a leader of the defence. I think we knew what we were getting with Anthony. He was somebody who came in with absolutely glowing references. Everybody has worked with him. I mean, you all saw it when he signed the, the outpouring from the Wickham fans. They were all devastated to lose him. And you see that in the way that he plays, kind of heart in the sleeve. And yeah, distribution, that's not what we signed him for. We didn't sign him to be the one that would pass the ball out from the back. That's why you see Ilber dropping towards him when he has the ball to try and take that pressure away. Um, I think not getting scales in a permanent was the one that probably hurt the most. Right. I think that it was, it, we wanted to, everybody at the club wanted to get him permanently again. He was the player that you heard Jim Goodwin speak to Graham Hunter about, speaking about the exciting left side of defender. He was the one. And then when we signed him and announced a loan from Celtic, there was the, the outpouring of, of vitriol from the Aberdeen <laughs> fan. It was an Aberdeen fan, I know where it comes from. Absolutely, it's the old firm. I get it, but I think everybody's seen the quality of the player and we, we that is still a risk that we're going to lose him at some point. But if they can turn that into a permanent somehow, then it's all been worth it. Yeah, I think we um, we reviewed the summer signings um, on the show prior to this. And yeah, everyone's very positive with Liam Scales. Um, I do get And of course, Celtic have since signed the um, Japanese left-sided defender, uh, which yep. in theory pushes Scales further down the pecking order at Celtic but yeah the concern is that if it was to go to market then yeah. like you say Aberdeen we have budgets to to work to and my sense is that it might just get blown out of the water a little bit there um, and I guess that's where that frustration came and that was the source of that backlash in the summer. Interesting you comment there about um, the rumours about potentially recruiting a new right back in the window um, Josh Dacres Cogley Dacres Cogley I'm not quite sure how you say it but Close enough one of those two. Um, if we were, if there's truth in the speculation that we're looking at him once again, I think his contract's at the end of the season with mm-hmm. Tranmere Rovers. Do you think that's, it wouldn't be so much a case of, right, Jaden Richardson, that's him out. It would be more a case of, yeah, bolster that area of competition, but Jaden's still very much in our thoughts. Yeah, I think competition is important for the squad. All the way through the squad, you've got to have it. I think you've seen Bojan Majowski push himself a little bit more because suddenly Dukes come on board and is scoring yeah. goals and it kind of takes the limelight away a little bit. Every number nine loves night loves limelight limelight. You can't deny it, they all do. But I think that Dactus Cogley is a player who we looked up previously and we liked. But again, it's football, you don't always take the one that you like, you take the one that's you like that's available. Um he was somebody who was scouted when I was at the club and he was a good player. Um Similar to Jaden, let's face it, he's an attacking, quick, athletic fullback um, who's been doing well down in England, I think League 2 at Tramme. Um, I would be surprised if the club made that move or made a move for a similar player, if not him. But again, just purely because if you if you lose Jaden, you don't want Ross McCrory playing out there. Yeah, And I think that's kind of where the squad has to be. There aren't a lot of options at the right-back position, same as centre-back, there, there aren't enough options in either one really if you lose a player it kind of messes things up and it's important to balance out yeah we've seen that definitely um anytime liam skills has not been available the the sheer reshuffle that's required in order to get a team on the pitch and it's the double jeopardy factor with skills that you know you lose skills one of your 
maybe your best setter back. Um, you're losing theory. Then Ross McCrory. Um, of course, we've now shifted to the three at the back now, so they're playing there either side of Avanti Stewart in there. What would you, as an analyst, say to fans who, let's just take um, Dacris Cogley again? There'll be fans out there who will hear that rumor and they'll just say, "Ugh, the Tranmere Rovers right back. Tranmere Rovers, they're like mid-table in League Two. Why are we looking at a player like that? What would you say, as far as like the level of talent that you can find in these unconventional, unfashionable leagues? I think it's always worse for those Aberdeen fans when they realise that Mickey Mellon's the manager as well in Tranmere at the moment. His time at Dundee United Next was Dundee United manager, manager, of course, yes, Mickey Mellon. Um, I would say that I understand where the scepticism and the, the ire comes from because previously we've touched upon the Derek McInnes era when recruitment from England tended to be almost entirely unimaginative in yeah. terms of it would be players who were out of contract to fit a certain physical profile in terms of they're big, strong, committed. And that, that those were the words you'd hear all the time, really committed, good pro. Those were the words kind of coming out all the time. I think that of what we've been able to do, and again, this comes down to Darren probably more than anybody else, is that we're only going for players now who are good footballers first and foremost. We're not taking cloggers from League 2, League 1, non-league. If you look at the players that we've signed, they could all handle the football, and that's the same with Douglas Cogley. He's very good in terms of his athletic profile. He's good on the ball, but he can also defend a little bit too. Um, he's not as good going forward as Jaden Richardson. And again, that's where you have to balance it out. Richardson's, I think I'm right in saying Richardson is clearly the fastest player at the club. Yeah in terms of overall sprint speed. The problem is, and I know that you guys spoke to somebody from down in Nottingham uh, when we signed him and did a piece on, you know, what kind of players Jane Richardson, and he very acutely said that final ball is a problem, and final ball is a problem. But again, it's that building blocks in terms of you have this raw ability, and if you can put the building blocks in place on top of that raw ability, suddenly you have a player who becomes very, very strong, and becomes a really sellable asset down the line too. Dactus Cogley, I think, would come in and, and compete for the right wing-back or right-back slot almost immediately. And he is somebody who'd come in and, and you need players like that. Best will in the world, Jaden Richardson shouldn't be playing 3,000 minutes this season. He should okay. be playing two, probably. And that's where the difference comes in in terms of the workload in his legs and kind of the stresses in terms of his muscles, especially for a player who moves so quickly. But... I'd be lying to you if I said that I've checked Dactus Cogley's data recently. I haven't. Um, it'll still be on the system at Aberdeen from before I left because it will have been there. All the data will have been pulled off, but I don't know who's updating it now. So I would imagine they've got somebody else in to fill my post by now. One more individual from the summer that I'd just like to ask you about, just as we were talking there. And I'm sure I'd ask you because the simple fact is the guy's barely played since he's been here due to injury um so we've not had any kind of sample size to to judge him on um cal roberts was brought in from Notts county now cal i think started his career at newcastle if i'm not mistaken yep. had some injury problems fell down the leagues kind of little, fell out of love with football and then i think he got his mojo back at Notts county was one of the highest goal scorers assist goal creators last season but obviously that's in non-league football for for Notts County, you know, we are a big club, but you know, it's at the end, it's still non-league. What was it about Cal Roberts that made you want to go out and make him? I'm like, because did we pay a fee for Cal Roberts? Yeah, yeah. So we went out and paid a fee for him. What was it about this player that you made made you think? Because he'd had injury problems, like I said, tumbled kind of down the English leagues. If you want to be quite brutalistic about it, what was it about Cal Roberts that made you think that this could be a really good fit for Aberdeen? And what do you think he can ultimately bring when he does get the comfort? Again, it's about upside. Um, when you look at players that we're signing from England, these, these younger players that we're taking, they all have to have upside and, and something that you can add in terms of bringing them, them to the next level that they're at at the moment. Um, Carl's a bit different. I mean, here was me talking not 15 minutes ago about how the main brief was athleticism. For the best ball in the world, Carl Roberts ain't athletic. Um, he, he's not somebody who he has got a burst. Um, it's different for different players. So when you talk about athleticism in a fullback or a wingback, that's more about maintaining speed. Yeah. So the ability to maintain speed from back to front, if you like, and front to back as they make recovery runs. 
for a player like Cal Roberts, who likes to play inside, he likes to get the ball in the channels more than on the wing or kind of central areas. He likes that little space. Kind of, I call it the Alexander Arnold space when he gets that ball in that area, the corner of the penalty area. And then he has the quality. Alexander Arnold would put the cross in right footed. Cal's more likely to slip the ball through somebody's legs, do a couple of step overs and try and find the top corner. It's just the kind of kid he is. Um, I think that what really attracted us to him was the fact that he can unlock teams in a low block. So when we started talking, he was one of the final ones that came in. I can't exactly remember the timeline again. It was a really busy period of recruitment. He was one of the later ones that came in. Then we started talking about what we were going to do against teams that came to Pataudry and just sat because we had speed. We, I think we added Jaden Morris actually after that, who's again one of the other faster players. Yeah, but um, we have obviously had speed with likes of Vinny with Duke Boyan's quick too. We had Jaden obviously is really quick. Hayden Coulson's quick, but we needed a way to find to break down teams that just come and sit back. So break down the Livingstons if you like who come up with Audrey, no intention of playing football. I'm looking forward to seeing if they, they bring this time-wasting thing that they're doing at the World Cup just now in terms of adding on time to this SPFL because Livingston games are going to last a couple hours. <laughs> um, they're, they're always the same when they come to Pataudry. They sit deep. The goalkeeper takes a goal kick from one side and walks it to the other side and back again. It's that thing, isn't it? They're crazy for that. Yeah. So Cal was somebody that we thought could unlock a defence in that way and, and that's quite a generic term but that ability to play in tight spaces. He kind of receives the ball with pressure and he can either shape and shift and shoot really quickly in order to to beat the press that way. But he can also manipulate the ball, put it through somebody's legs, find a slip pass between the lines and, and really open teams up. I think that I would hope that we're going to see him. I think as I left, he was training. Um, he was he was sprinting I believe which is always the, the sign that they're almost back you hear about them getting back on the grass and then you hear they're allowed to sprint and that kind of be it's the last stage before they're back in, in match action so I would hope that he's ready to go but in our new system I think it'd be interesting to see how that works Yeah. Um, technically he could play as an 8 but he's not going to do a lot of defending for you. And eight would be a more advanced central midfielder. So the, the like say, Clarkson position at the moment, when you have Ilber playing behind and then two midfielders ahead. Um, he could play there, but he's not going to trap back that much. He's not defensively diligent. He will press and he will be aggressive and try to win the ball back, but only for about 10, 15 yards. And then he'll kind of go and find himself a little pocket of space to wait in for the ball. But in terms of dead ball delivery as well, he was somebody who really popped out with his free kicks, corner kicks, he can add threat. And obviously we're a good team from those those positions. So, yeah, there were a lot of different factors went into it, but he was another one who came on directly from Darren. We started talking about it and he said, I've always liked this player. And that started a chorus of, oh yeah, he played well when I saw him, played well when I saw him, and then the data was good too. And again, Notts County fans were disappointed to see him go. They were, yeah. Um, he was he was pictured in the Atlanta trip. Didn't play against the Atlanta team that we uh, had the friendly with, but he does appear that he's you know very much part of the group and he's in training. The little concern from my end is that obviously because there's no reserve football anymore, it's kind of how do you then build up a player's match fitness if literally all he can play in is you know league games and you don't want to necessarily send him in cold. So it is that issue um, how you kind of measure maintain him that way, but. You know, like you say, Notts County fans were really excited about him, um, sad to see him go. And he does sound a little bit more like a, if the brief was to sign players in the mould of a Johnny Hayes, sounds like he's more <laughs> maybe more of a Niall McGinn, that he's got like that little bit of magic with the ball at his feet to, yeah. to make things yeah. happen. And he's got a little bit of a chip in his shoulder, which I think I always like in a player. I like players who, if they get knocked, they jump back up and they want to kind of fires them up, if you like. He's got a little bit of that. Um, I think in terms of match fitness, they'll they'll play behind closed doors friendlies, mm-hmm. so they will get minutes into him before he's back in the league. Yeah. Interesting, you mentioned that. Is is character something that you, as a recruitment analyst, would consider like that the edge in their game? Because I think for a number of years, Aberdeen fans will say we've had quite a soft team. I think that's maybe been resolved to an extent. I think we could probably still do with maybe one or two more that have that in them. Uh, I think that's what we expected when Scott Brown was here, actually, and it never really materialised. Um, is that something that you're like tasked with finding? It's part well, it's part of the recruitment process. Um, 
character comes from character references. Okay. So it's very, very rare you'll sign a player without speaking to somebody who's either coached them, managed them, or played with them. Um, and that's kind of the final part of the jigsaw. So when you're recruiting a player, you have the live scouting aspect, which is obviously incredibly important. You have video scouting, which we do extensively at Aberdeen. And then you have data, which we use to identify players and to check players in terms of due diligence. But we also have the final part, which is kind of where there are a couple of people working within the club. Um, Darren's really good at it. He also has somebody working on a consultancy basis, who I don't think I'm allowed to name. But he has been in the game for a long, long time. Um, this We were in a meeting at Cormac Park and a player's name was mentioned and this person went on their phone, just sent a text message and within five minutes they had three references in the player from different people. <laughs> it was wild. I've never seen anything like that. So that's kind of the final part of the jigsaw and that comes down to simple things like you check social media. So you'll do the traditional Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, stalking, checking, there's nothing. <laughs> No immediate red flags, but there shouldn't be in modern football. I think players now get educated at a young age and exactly what not to do in social media is to blow up their career. But then it'll come down to speaking to people around the game that know them and then trying to get a good fit. But character is absolutely important. I mean, you've seen the difference that Ilber in particular has made at the club since he came in. You see him on the pitch. And again, I'm not connected to the club anymore, so I'm probably allowed to say this now. But I was a little bit surprised that Anthony Stewart was made captain and not Ilber. Okay. I don't even notice, but whenever there's a, a pause in play, Ilber's the one who goes over to Jim Goodwin to get instructions from the bench. Yeah. It's always him. Yeah, it's always him. Um, so you have to have different characters and different leaders. And you touched on Johnny Hayes a little while ago. He is an absolute leader in the truest sense of the world. And he's been around the the club for a long time. So between him, Anthony Stewart. Ross McCrory, Ilber Ramadani, all of these players kind of have that ability to pull others up, if you like, and pull them up a little bit to to ensure that they're they're toeing the line. I think Vinny's the joker of the squad. Um, but I've never failed to beat the training ground when I've seen him running about trying to pull pranks on people. <laughs> He's taken the uh, the Shea Logan mantle on. I like that. <laughs> well, hopefully not all of it. <laughs> not maybe not all of it. Yeah, but. <laughs> some parts of it um it's impossible what you're mentioning there about the character references what you know in a hypothetical dimension in an alternative dimension that's what i mean what uh someone might think when they ask jim goodwin for a reference on a certain american international that we currently have look go online it's like i could have sworn this guy used to have social media what happened oh i know there was one that happened um recently when dilly mcgook has ended up at forest green rovers yes um, I got a message, a guy called Stevie Greve, who used to be the director of football at uh, no, head of recruitment, sorry, St. Johnson, and director of analysis at Dundee United. He's now in post as head of recruitment at Forest Green. And I got a message from him asking for contact for Darren because they want to check a player and it was Dylan. Um, so it does happen and, and typically teams will, will be honest with each other and give good and bad. And Dylan was always good in the dressing room. So Fingers crossed he, he continues to do well. He's playing and getting minutes in his legs, which he never really managed to do at Pataudry through injury. So fingers crossed he does well down there. Yeah, of all the players that kind of left in the summer, he's the one that it took the longest to get a gig. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tend to agree. I think it was a very good player. We didn't see the best of him, definitely. Just... I think he'd, he'd be a better player for us this season than he was last season. I tend to if agree. You in, if you put him in the team that we had now when he was fit, I think he would be a better player now than he was. But I tend to agree. that's just the way football goes. Yeah, it's it's that thing. Like, how do you guarantee that someone stays fit? You just you can't do it. And when the track record's there, you can't ignore that data, as you'll very well know. Yes, final, final question, just on that point of data, because I imagine that let's just talk about Duke for a second. So Duke came from Benfica B. Is there is there any kind of difficulty in sort of like you'll see the data, but how do you kind of like? Because I'm thinking like you know the second division of Portugal, it must be kind of hard to confirm data on somewhere. Is there like a a third party or like something else that you can use to verify the data or is that just a case of okay i now need to see this part of my own eyes and that's how i do it yeah i think you in terms of trusting the data you have to trust your data provider um there's no point in using another third party so for example we could use uh, the top level data providers would be the optas or the stats bombs but the club didn't have subscription for either of those they used yscout okay um, you then have Yscout and Instat, which are two similar platforms, but Yscout's data is far superior 
because the way they collect the data is more accurate than Instat. Instat's got a lot of noise involved. So with Duke, the problem was his data was playing for Benfica B in a league, Portugal 2, is basically three or four teams and then it drops off a cliff. Right. <laughs> the, the quality at the lower ends of that league is really variable. But I think that what you have to do is you have to be realistic. So what I've always said about data is I believe you can use data to find a player in almost any market. The importance is then being able to apply the common sense filter in terms of, okay, the data is good, but that's Portugal too. <laughs> so the first thing was Darren would watch live. Um, Duke was recommended through an agent who um, Darren trusted in Portugal. Um, checked the data and it was very good in terms of goals per 90. He didn't play a lot of 90 minutes, but whenever he came off the bench or on the pitch, he invariably scored. And I think what you've seen for Aberdeen was constant then. The ways that he scored would occasionally be spectacular. Madness. Occasionally, you'd, you'd wonder how the ball had managed to hit his arse and go into the top corner and nobody was quite <laughs> sure what had happened there. Um, but the player was there in terms when you looked at data and saw the, the snapshot. I mean, data is just a snapshot. So I tend to use what's called pizza charts. People have seen them on Twitter all the time. And it gives you a snapshot in terms of percentile rankings of how good the player is across various metrics. So when you looked at Duke, you saw exactly what he could do and what he couldn't do. He was very good going forward, less good linking, playing, kind of that back to goal, receiving the ball, passing, passing and moving kind of thing wasn't his game. Um, so I believe that you can use data to find players anywhere. There's, there's one, for example, at the moment in Latvia, whose data is very, very good. But the club think that somebody are going to come in and pay two and a half million for a forward from Latvia and it's not going to happen. Excellent. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Lee, for your for your time tonight. You mentioned that you're no longer with the club. Why is that exactly? <laughs> uh, I was approached to interview for a new role um, kind of around August time. Um, Chief scout at a club in Spain called Vela's CF that played a fourth tier of Spanish football. Um, realistically, I knew that the next step in my career in football had to be kind of chief scout, head of recruitment. It's the same thing, just different titles. Yeah. Um, and they were the first club that came in, ended up approaching me to join them. I went back to Aberdeen and said, look, I've been offered this. This is what they've offered me. Um, can you guys match it? And just for clarity, I wasn't full time at Aberdeen the whole time I was there. It was part-time role for me. I was also working for um, a company called Total Football Analysis on their okay. consultancy side. So I was consulting previously with doing with clubs um, across European football that they work with. But part of my contract at Aberdeen was exclusivity. So I wasn't allowed to work with clubs on the consultancy side. Okay. I would just do other parts, bits and pieces. Um, so when I went to Aberdeen, I said, look, could we offer this? It's slightly more money than my two roles combined. And it's full time and it's this. Um, can you match it? They said they couldn't. And that was the end, really. That was time to part ways. I think reflecting back on it, the fact that I was an Aberdeen fan probably made it harder for that to happen. Yeah. If it wasn't Aberdeen, if they came back and said, no, I would have said, right, well, there's my notice. That's me. Um, gardening leave or I'll work the month, whatever you want. Um, but because it was Aberdeen, I was still torn at first, even though they said, no, we can't match it. I was still tempted to to kind of keep doing what I was doing, if you like. But no, it made sense in terms of my career to move on. So no hard feelings. Um, still love Aberdeen, love the club, but time to move on. Excellent. Love to hear it. And we wish you absolutely all the best in your time in Spain and the rest of your career. Uh, I'm just gonna, Were you involved in the process of signing Duke? Uh, yeah. Okay. Two final things. Thank you so much for bringing Duke <laughs> into our lives. And you've just said it yourself, Aberdeen's your club. It's the team you love. We finish all our interviews with this question, and it feels appropriate to ask yourself this, Lee. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It's hard to put into words. I mean, I'm now somebody who lives in Aberdeen. I've got three kids, three boys, all of whom are Aberdeen fans. My wife's an Aberdeen fan. I think, realistically, I'm almost glad that I don't work for the club anymore because the things that you feel as a fan were magnified by the fact that you also worked there and it. You know, a defeat would be weekend ruining to the point that it probably shouldn't be when it's 
at the end of the day, it's just a game of football. <laughs> but yeah, Aberdeen's about family to me and about pathology on a cold day when, you know, you've got, you're all wrapped up warm and you've got a pie from pathology and you're trying to figure out what kind of meat's in it and <laughs> then you'll figure out what the result's going to be. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you're, I mean, you're not wrong there, are you? You're not wrong there at all. It's, uh, yeah, it's a soul, a team spirit, a family tradition, as De Stefano famously once said. <laughs> Lee Scott, thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating to get this insight. We appreciate it so much. So thank you. No worries. Thanks. And that wraps up episode 74.5 of the ABZ football podcast. Join us for episode 75, where we can get back to the real football. And we'll preview our upcoming fixture at Pataudry with Celtic. And I guess we might even have to have a little chat about the council. That'll be fun. We'll see you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!